get out of the field, learn to run your business, learn to um, operate a company, not just be a technician, get out of the technician mindset, but then at the same time, elevate your technicians to think about money, to um, learn how to budget them, their own personal lives and raise the level of the entire company. Welcome to the Built from the Ground Up podcast, where we learn together how to build a home service business from the ground up. We'll learn what not to do, what we should be doing, how much we're going to fail, but ultimately, how to succeed. I'm your host, Justin Neary. Thanks for joining me. Okay, we've got a special, special treat this morning. Our guest today is currently serving a lifetime sentence in the chimney industry. He is a second generation sweep and his four children have all worked in the industry at some point with his oldest currently working as a tech assistant. In the past 24 years, he earned the title, the industry's biggest loser, having made every mistake possible. Many of you would know him from his service at the tech center or serving the industry at the National Chimney Sweep Guild. Today, he is focusing on building his portfolio and freely helping other entrepreneurs reach their goals. He currently has a stake in 14 small businesses and continues to give back to the industry he says gave him everything. We'd like to welcome our very special guest, Jasper Drangler. How are you today, Jasper? I'm good, thanks for having me. Yeah, Um, I really appreciate you coming. No problem. We, uh, I see comments online on our different sweep forums every day. And sometimes I fight the urge to make a comment. Sometimes I've got a minute and I'll ramble on and go on and on. And one of the biggest questions I get asked regularly is how to pay employees. And I'm a big advocate of commission. Uh, there's pros and cons to everything, but, um, for those who have asked, I've freely shared our commission pay schedule. I get asked by owners, um, you know, how I can afford to pay my, my guys so much money. And so we'll go over some of that today, but I also get asked by technicians, employees of other companies how they can propose this to their boss or to their manager because they want to get paid what they're worth. Everybody wants to get paid what they're worth. I want to pay my guys what they're worth. They want to be paid what they're worth. And so it's a good way to make sure that people are fairly compensated. So we'll go over some of that as well. Cool. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that type of, there's some, there's so much mystery, I think in some of these topics and in our industry, it's kind of one of these things where, you know, people start a business because they're good techs. They do the job really well. And so they just jump in because it's it's what they know. And then, you know, as they realize they want to grow beyond themselves, they find these things that are like, oh, man, what do we do here? How do, it, it can be hard to understand because I, I know for me, I am not a numbers guy at all. Like I do a lot of nerdy stuff in the background, but when it comes to figuring out financials, it's really hard for me to, like I grasp the process. Whatever comes in has to be more than what goes out. That's simple. But in reality, running a business, there's so many, there's so many things that happen along the way. Um, all these little things that suck money away and it's hard to, it's hard to track it if you don't know what to look for, right? It's like you see money in the bank, Oh, we must be making money. Well, that's not the case. 
And then with as far as techs, I know as, as an owner, I want my guys to make as much money as possible. And I find that it's, you know, we've talked about the commission thing and it's scary to them. They kind of get really nervous. And I tell them, you know, you're, if you if you put in the work and you go after it, you can make so much more money this way. But there's so much uncertainty for them. So th these are some good topics we could discuss. It'd be great, you know, to get your insight on these because you've done it. You've made it happen. So I, this is going to be great. Yeah, and as a, a technician on a commission, uh, the maturity of the company you're working for makes a big difference. Right, yeah. uh, right now, we haven't had a slow season in forever. Mm -hmm. um, I remember working as a technician where we definitely had a slow season. I remember getting two, three, four hundred dollar two week paychecks back in the day, but I also remember getting those four thousand dollar two week paychecks. Right. You know, in the early two thousands. So a lot of it comes down to not only paying your technicians what they're worth but what i've started to do lately is actually try to teach my technicians how to manage money how to form their own llcs i've got some guys that have side hustles and awesome. i try coaching them I, I see what they're what they're making and i'm trying to help them protect their own uh, assets yeah um so teaching them how to budget teach them how to save and invest for the future um you know i consider our hr department a revolving door People have a tenure in this industry. There are very few sweeps that are going to sweep chimneys for 40 years. Mm -hmm. They can either move up in a business that has the room for a manager that isn't getting their, their back hurt and their hands dirty, or it's a stepping stone to another career. Um, you know, and, and the size of the company will help dictate that. For instance, we have a couple technicians right now that don't have a set schedule. They, they're a mop-up crew. They go and they fix things. They go and do warranty jobs or they're job uh, quality control experts or they're the safety guy or they're the warehouse manager. You know, there's a, yeah. there is a, a stepping stone within our organization from start to finish if you want to stay here forever. Um, but I've got guys that come to me fresh out of school that say, I don't know, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I need a paycheck now because mom and dad aren't going to let me live in the basement for free forever. And I hear you'll pay for the education. So we do. We'll pay them to learn. Yeah. We teach them. We're happy to have them for a few years. I've had guys come to work for me that have flat out told me, I want to own my own business one day. I just need to make some money until I can do that. And, you know, we invest in all of them. We invest in all of our guys, whether they're going to be here for three years or 30 years. So yeah, that's, that's but part of it. Yeah, part of the investment is teaching them about money. Um, I meet chimney sweeps every single week who are amazing technicians, and I don't want to argue codes with them because I'm not a code guy. Don't ask me <laughs> right. where, what page 211 something's on ever. I'll, I'll know enough info to get by and write my reports, but I can't memorize all the codes. I can't memorize all the UL uh, listings, um, but they're horrible business people. Right. There are people in this industry that have been doing it for 20, 30 years and don't have anything. And that's sad. And part of it is they're not charging enough. Part of it is they're bad with money. Uh, there's plenty of sweeps in our industry that don't care about building their business. They're perfectly content living week to week and they've got a little nest egg and they're going to retire someday, sell off other stuff. And then there's other people that have seen the upside of building a business and having a real company and something that can perpetually make them money until they retire or pass it on. And, you know, that's the angle I'm going for. I've, 
I've met way too many sweeps in the industry who their bodies are completely shot, but they have to keep working. Yeah. And that's sad. So if we can avoid that for this next generation as much as possible, that's my goal. Um, I'm not into teaching people how to sweep chimneys. I don't want to teach people how to pour crowns. I don't want to teach people how to lay brick. I want to teach them how to uh, be financially secure in the future and work smarter, not harder. And for if I can stop some of these guys from making some mistakes I've made, um, that's my goal. Yeah, that's 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 what it's all about. I mean, you you touched on a, a few really good points there. Like when you take a guy and you invest in him, and it's like you know, some maybe you know we buy them tools. What some might think that's investing in them. Well, you invest in them as a person. You teach them, like you said, how to manage money. I think what's really important is helping people set goals for themselves too, because so many people just don't have a goal. It's like, what do you, what are you shooting for in life? Well, nothing. I, I don't, I don't really know. And if you can, you know, whatever they, you can help them develop goals, right. And then help them to achieve those things. And it's not like, well, just giving them more money. It's like you said, teaching them how to manage that money, getting them into programs that, you know, whatever, whatever someone's into Dave Ramsey, whatever, helping them to learn because money's I used to think it was easy like I just thought oh it's so easy but no one teaches us I know in my school growing up my parents they didn't teach me about money it was like yeah here's how to make money go make it but once you get it what do you do with it and so what you're doing is is helping people build a future and that's the idea that like you said they come in knowing and you know they want to start their own business so, some people are so scared of that. It's like, no way, I'm not I'm not putting time into them. Well, why not? Like, everyone's got to have a goal. Like, so I, I've got guys, if they left my company because they wanted to do something more with their life or whatever, they wanted to have their own thing, I'm not going to be upset for them. You know, it might hurt for a, a few minutes because, I, I, you know, we enjoyed having them. But we should celebrate them wanting to do something more. And, and that's how you make was... good people. I was so happy to actually get a two-week notice from a young man the other day. He started work for us a couple weeks after graduating high school. He'd been here for a few years. He was yeah. a certified technician. Um, he expressed that there's part of the jobs, job that he doesn't like, and there are parts of the career that he does like. And so we made sure he was doing what he was comfortable doing. Yeah. And he put in his two-week notice. Of course, he didn't give it to me. He gave it to his manager. But I called him up, and I thanked him. I thanked him for taking um, everything we have taught him um, about how to be a responsible young man. And I told him how rare it is to get a full two weeks notice. Yep. <laughs> and I told him the door is always yep. open. If yep. this venture doesn't work out for you, you're welcome to come back. Um, and I'll always have a place for him because he did everything right. Right. And yeah. so that's part of it, too. Not just teaching him how to clean chimneys. Because I can teach anybody how to clean a chimney. That's not hard. I can teach anybody how to do most of this work, but to teach them how to be, um, how to sell to a, a customer, how to manage their money, all the other life skills that they will be able to use in whatever career path they follow, those are what our industry needs more of with our right. technicians. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So let's get into uh, the commission. Let's get into yeah. How, how in the world are you guys. doing that? Let's let's talk about that because my guys are scared out of their minds at the possibility. 
love that. So it's real simple. Here's what you're going to start doing when you want to pay your guys commission. You're going to have, you know what, you pay them now. They're hourly plus their vacations plus their bonuses or whatever yep. your structure is set up. And over the years, I've done many different ways of paying my my guys. We've had just hourly. We've had hourly plus bonuses for add-on sales. And what all of our lead techs are on right now is a straight production production pay scale. So what you do is what you get paid. Mm-hmm. Now, our company is a little diverse. So we've got things like air duct cleaning and dryer vent cleaning on here. And those jobs are a flat percentage. They get 20%. And um, the air duct cleaning is a set price. So when the customer calls in, um, the office quotes the job, they get scheduled, and that's your, your rate. So there's not a lot for add-on sales in that world. Right. Um, but if you're going out to clean chimneys, which is 90% of our business, um, and you sell a dryer vent cleaning that wasn't previously sold by the office, you get 50% of that or the 20%, whatever's higher, actually. And so here's the reason for that. When you're in someone's home, you get a feeling of, uh, you know, how they're responding to what you're finding with the chimney. And we're always looking for the add-on sales. And there's flexibility in that pricing. So as a technician, you take a look at this dryer vent and you know what our regular set price is, which if you call us out just for a dryer vent cleaning is somewhere north of $200. But you say, Mrs. Jones, your chimney is all set. I was out in the backyard and notice the dryer vent lid is really dirty. It's normally like 200 bucks. Tell you what, for $75, it'll take me a few minutes. I'll get that done for you right now. Mm-hmm. You divide that in half. You're happy as an owner. Technician's happy. You don't have to drive out to that house another time. And, and it's done. It's easy money. Um, all of our prices for repairs, the technicians have a guideline in, in their price books. This is about what this should cost. When it comes down to the technicians quoting it, most of my guys are doing the work that they're quoting. So if this is a six-story building and it's going to take two days of setting up scaffolding, obviously that job's going to cost a lot more than the ranch house with 10 feet of liner, right? So they're allowed some leniency or there's the customers you just don't want to work for. You know, you get that (laughs) feeling in your stomach that this person's going to be annoying and you know, I see it all the time on these pages, fire the customer, walk away. You know what that hap- What happens when you fire customers and you walk away? You get bad reviews. The customer doesn't know why you're walking away. They don't understand. I mean, maybe they know they're a jerk, but the customer doesn't, doesn't know why you just don't want to do business with them. And that leads to bad reviews. So my guys are more than welcome to add two, three, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 to that bid if yeah. they really don't want the job. If they think this is a poisonous customer, you know, charge them for it. And the, it's crazy. Sometimes you get those jobs, but when you get one of those, you just smile. When the customer's sitting there giving you a hard time, you just smile because they're paying for it, right? So, and my philosophy is we like to take money from people we don't like just as much as people we like. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Um, when it comes to sweeping and inspections, um, our guys are getting 16% for sweeps and inspections. And now, um, our our business model is that we will we do a lot of traveling. My guys will sometimes drive two hours to their first appointment. You know, there's some sweep companies that cover half a county, like John Pilger, and then ours, us, will we'll cover seven states. So when one of our guys is going out to a job, that we have zones okay. where the price gets higher based on how far away they are from whatever office they're working out of that day. 
So our basic level one sweeping inspection um, right now, depending on where you live, is we're going to charge you between 288 to 525. Um, our white glove sweep is currently $1,362. And our technicians will get 16% of all of that. Um, you know, for our regular sweeps and inspections, they'll do four at the most five a day, depending on the routing for the white glove. They never do more than two a day. Um, but that's decent money. So now while they're out there doing these sweeps, um, you know, we've got our crown coatings, our chimney savers, our flash seals. Those add-ons are all at 20%. And there's formulas that you need to charge based on how, how the size, you know, right. there's guidelines again. Um, you know, we do flash seal, we carry some caps on the truck. Those all have a, a percentage rate. But then when we get to our, our big repairs, our relining, our rebuilds, our multi-day projects, or just, you know, firebox rebuilding, the simple formula that we currently use to pair guys is they get 25% after the cost of all materials. So that's after the brick, the mortar, every consumed material, but it also includes any additional labor. So we've got the certified tech on a job and let's say on his quote, he says he, he wants another technician. So if he wants another technician, our, our technician rate is $350 a day or okay. whatever that tech asks for. So for instance, I've got two guys that are very well paid in our company and they're very expensive technicians, but they like to work together and they will buy and sell time with each other. So, Hey, Joe, I want you to come with me on this job. Okay. Larry, what is it? Well, we're going to rebuild a thousand brick. He's like, how many days, you know, say two days. Ago, I want 1200 bucks to do it. I, you know, the technician will say, I want $1,200 to come work with you on that job for two days, or you're going to find one of the other helpers. Yeah. So the other helpers, you know, have a variance. Um, most of them are in the, the two to $300 a day range for their pay. So as a technician doing the sale, you have to include the labor of the helper or the technician that you want with you. Um, the rental of the lift, uh, there's a fee for the scaffolding usage, all of that stuff. And what happens when you start quoting jobs this way is you're actually teaching your guys how to be profitable. Right, right. I think on the comment that started this whole idea for this podcast, I made the comment that if you're paying your guys commission and they're happy with their compensation, unless they're living in mom's basement and you're happy driving rusty cars, they're going to make sure you make money. Right. Because it's just a snowball effect. Once they start seeing what they're making on these jobs um, and you get them the tools they need and the education and the sales that they need, they're going to make sure you're profitable. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody wants to work for the company that can't afford the new benefits. No one wants to work for a company that can't afford to buy them the tools they want. They want to work for a winner. They want to be proud of their employer. And they want to make sure that their paycheck is taken care of. So it's a snowball effect. So if your guy is properly compensated and he's making uh, what he believes is fair on these jobs with these percentages, um, even though the, the total cost of living in different cities is all over the place in our market, and even though the medium income is all over the place in each of our markets, these percentages work out really good for what the technicians are able to sell the jobs for 
and what they they need to make to live comfortably in their in their own location. Yeah. Um, the other part that we add into this is um, if you sell a job but don't want to do it, you know, every once in a while we'll have a technician sell some big crazy fireplace and they'll put a note, hey, I don't want to do this. Like I sold it for this much money, but I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. or I don't have time. That's the other thing. Who wants to do this this job for me? And they'll take a percentage. So the it's a it's negotiable. The guys are selling buy jobs from each other regularly. That's um, and it's not that's pretty cool. I love that idea actually. I yeah. think that's wonderful. It's not uncommon for a guy to say, "Well, I want five percent. I want seven percent. I want ten percent." And there's some negotiation based on how difficult the job is, or or they'll just trade jobs. Hey, you do these two for me. I'll do this one for you. I know you don't like to lay brick. I know you don't like to mix a pallet of Thermix for the day. So there's some negotiating back and forth. When it comes down to it, we want to get to our customers in a timely manner. And we have guys that just outsell. And so sometimes we'll be like, look, uh, these lesser experienced technicians can handle these wood stove liners. Let them have it and take your percentage. Mm -hmm. And it's for the good of the customer. Not keeping your coworker busy. But the other thing that you have to track for all this then is your your closing rates. It's one thing to be able to sell, you know, I've got guys that will sell just big ticket jobs. It seems like all they want to do is fry the six figure jobs every day. And so their closing rate sucks. They're not right doing the customer any good by only offering the, the big, you know, pie in the sky jobs. So you have to watch their closing rates across all different um, fields of work. Um, if you watch your numbers enough, you'll be able to say that's the smoke chamber guy, that's the chimney cap guy, that's the poured crown guy, that's the multi flue cap guy, because that's what they're selling the most of. Yeah. And part of it is that's what they're comfortable with. Part of it is they've done the math and that's what they want to make their commission on. So you need to watch it. You need to make sure, well, why are they selling this? Why are they not selling this? Um, what are they missing? You know, that's that's my biggest fear. I we have no problem making money, but my biggest fear is if you're not selling a lot of liners, you're not selling a lot of smoke chambers, are you doing your inspections well enough? Right. Yeah. How much are you missing? Yep. Yep. So that's the other downside of this that you need to consistently check. Yeah. That's the, all that sounds really cool. I, we don't do it that way at all, but I, it's, it's very exciting to, to hear that. Now the, the thing I wonder is like, how in the world do you track all that? Are are the technicians selling this stuff? Are they, are they just submitting paperwork for here's how much I'm getting paid, or do, does your office staff track all that? What's like, how does that all work? So each technician obviously tracks their own commission because they want to know how much money they're making on right. each job. So with each, um, so technician finishes a project, and he will submit a report uh, for that project that says the, who was on the job site, for what hours, what materials were used. And that's confirmed first by our warehouse manager. <clears throat> so we've got a full-time guy in the warehouse that does nothing but track inventory. Um, we try to keep everything in stock. The only thing I, that is not in stock in our warehouse at any given time is custom one-off liners or custom one-off caps. Right. We keep every single size liner in the shop ready to roll. Uh, and so he's in charge of making sure that that technician checked out so much material or checked in so much material. That's his job. So that's our first way of checking that. 
then the tech, the helpers that who are hourly, they have their time cards. So on their time cards, they're punching in and out to certain projects. So we can check that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of each pay period, they're submitting a report for every single job they were on and their dollar amount and expected commission. I then have um, two, uh, well, we've got three field managers. One is our operations field manager, and he's supposed to do spot quality control. He's supposed to randomly roll up on job sites. Gotcha. Uh, He's supposed to be doing training uh, both in-house and on job sites. We then also have our safety manager who um, is supposed to randomly stop at job sites. He also gets sent out on his own jobs. Uh, He's not on a full commission. Neither of these, uh, those two managers are not on our commission schedule. Uh, They're a salary plus bonus type deal. And the reason for that is they're doing a lot of goose egg work, right? right? They're doing a lot of, um, you know, not the quality control doesn't pay for itself. Mm-hmm. And they're going out there and doing warranty work. And, you know, the warranty work stinks. And so they're on a salary. Obviously, there's no commission in that. And then we've got our um, field training guy and we've got our sales training guy. And there's, they're more like coaches. They're both commission employees, but they're coaches that will go with another technician or take another technician with them for a day. And when a a new guy is in training, let's say we just hired Bob and Bob needs to learn how to clean chimneys. We'll send him out with our top guys, but he's not counted towards their commission for the day because they were assigned to him. You know, it's not fair for me to say, okay, you need to train this guy. Oh, and you're paying him for the day. Right. Yeah. So it's more like take him with you, take your time. You're getting free labor for the day because you don't have to pay him, but make sure to teach him everything you can do. And so that's, you know, you can train guys in your shop and in in in, uh, school settings all you want, but there's no replacement for in the field experience. Right. Um, And then last but not least, the, before the checks are written, everything's glanced at one more time. And um, when we instituted this new commission scale, there was a ton of backlash. Half the guys threatened to quit. Um, nobody wanted to do it. This they didn't they didn't believe in it. Right. And you know, I walked into a meeting a few weeks ago and I said, "Okay, so show of hands wants to go back to being paid by the hour." No one. No one. <laughs> yeah. No one. No one wants to get paid by the hour. And what it also did was it took away the idea that um, me and the management are just rolling in cash, right? Once they see the the side of the business expenses and once they understand what goes into each one of these jobs, all of a sudden they're not wasting materials. All of a sudden they're making sure to order just enough yep. of something. They're, they're being more careful with um, make sure carpet's staying clean and they're not messing up landscaping. You know, all the little things that, nickel and dime you to death as a as a chimney sweep owner they're watching out for because it's affecting their pay right yeah now i question like so do you is there any base pay in case they have a slow week or or a draw that they can draw from or anything like that we haven't had to do that right um you know my lead technicians are all making more money than they've ever made in their lives Mm -hmm. um they've been coached to save for a rainy day. They don't know when that rainy day is coming because they haven't seen it in years, but they've been right. told to, and I believe they are. But we've 
never had that lull in work in, in many years. If that were to happen, let's say all of a sudden we've got an unexpected snowstorm, uh, they're going to get paid for their training. So if we decide we're going to do online training or we're, um, we're all going to um, go to a NCSG convention for the week, they get paid for that. So it's uh, right now they're getting 125 bucks a day. Okay. And when you go to convention, the deal is you have to earn the max CEUs for the day. You have to be in attendance. You have to be sober. You can't embarrass me. Um, you know, there's a long list of stuff that they can and can't do at convention or at training seminars, but they're getting paid a flat rate. Uh, we reimburse them for their, uh, their food, motel, travel, whatever it is, but we, we pay them for their training. Um, we also, for our new guys, when we set them all up, we do have not, no, uh, non-compete disclosures for advanced training. So if you're going to become a specialist in a certain field, I'm going to pay for the training. I'm going to invest in you. And, you know, some of these guys, I know they want to start their own business someday. And so here's the deal. These are, you just can't work in these locations. Right. You want to go down to California, New Mexico, someplace far, far away and start a business, be my guest. Um, but this is the deal. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, and then they're happy to do it. I mean, that was the other thing. We used to have trouble with guys not wanting to try new things, not wanting to learn how to do gas, not wanting to learn to work on pellet. But when they realize that that just means more opportunity for them to make money, then it's a no-brainer. Yes, I'll take the education. I'll let you educate me. I'll let you train me. Then I can sell more jobs. And for the biggest one was gas. I had a bunch of guys that were just scared of gas. Mm -hmm. I'd love to work on gas appliances all day, every day. It's the easiest money in the world. But the guys were just scared of it, a couple of them. So we got them the training, and we said, here's the deal. You don't have to ever do it. Just, just sell it. If you don't right. want to install it, you want to sell the job to someone else, go sell it and let someone else do it. And um, our there's almost every day and he loves it. And he just lets the guys sell the jobs for him. So that works out great. Um, but we do, once your business scales to a certain size and your guys can become specialists in certain uh, categories or certain areas of this industry, they get better at it. Right. If we get the guy just loves slim and brick all day, he gets better, faster at it, right. more profitable at it. You can let the guys trade the jobs. So, you know, you sold five smoke chambers, but you're 300 pounds and can't get your head through a damper frame. Great. Sell those to the tiny Tim over there. He'll go parge those smoke chambers all day. <laughs> yeah. And you can go lay, lay a thousand brick in two days. I, so, I really like that trading jobs thing. I That to me is awesome because I know. I haven't been out selling jobs in quite a while. My guys are doing excellent with that. But I remember me, it's like I would hesitate to sell certain things when I knew I had to do it and I didn't want to. Like I was less likely as the owner, it's like I want this money, but I'm less likely to push for it because I don't really feel like doing it. And I kind of sabotaged myself and hoped they wouldn't take it because I had to get stuck doing it. But this is brilliant. Sell whatever. And trade it to someone who's better at doing that or likes to do that. So I, like personally, I love doing smoke chambers. I can fit in most of them currently. It's getting trickier every month or two. It seems to get a little more difficult. But yeah, that I think that that will keep enthusiasm really high for things too. And it just it's that is such a simple thing. But if 
if I'm going to remember anything up to this point, I want to take that away. I think that's brilliant. Good job with that. So that, <laughs> and it's not just the physical jobs that you trade. It, it happens in every aspect of the business. So yeah. you've got the person that has no problem sitting behind a computer all day and entering receipts in a computer. Right. Or you've got the person who loves to call forward scheduling customers and remind them that, hey, you haven't responded to last three emails. Here's your phone call. Everybody in, in our company has something that they would prefer to do over another task. Yeah. So if you can find the person that prefers that job or that task, give it to them and, and let them enjoy their job a little bit more. Um, we had a lady that just did not work out talking and dealing with customers, but it turned out she loves cleaning the office. Right. You know, so yeah. she's not even answering phones anymore. She cleans the office. She does a bunch of other odds and end jobs at one of my other companies. And so everybody has a purpose. And so that's one of the best parts about scaling your company and getting it larger is the ability to give people the jobs and the positions that they actually enjoy and want to do and are happy. Yeah. Um, I've had guys take pay cuts to take a, a position in, within the organization that they'd enjoy more. They knew they could make more money, but that's not the motivation for everybody in this world, especially some of these younger guys. They don't care how much money you pay them. They're just not going to do something. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that they don't want to work. It's that you have to find out not only what they enjoy, but you have to get them to buy in and be part of something. And, you know, everybody, somebody's got to cut the grass. Somebody's got to sweep the floor. Their, every job has to be done. And so you just have to find where they're comfortable and what they want to do. And if they're happy at the end of the day, then they're good employees. If they're not happy, then they're cancer. Right. Yeah. That, so here's a question for you because, you know, you're at a certain level. And I think people that will be listening to this, they want to be at that level. But they're at, you know, the level I'm at. You know, it, a couple guys were they're real good guys. They're, they've got good training. They, they know how to do great inspections. We're... Our skill levels are decent, but we have a lot more to learn as far as technical things and being able to lay bricks and do all that stuff. And, you know, we're at this level. We want to be here and we want to make, get to that commission's pay. We're, so like what I do is it's, it's a base pay and you, you get a, a percentage of everything you sell. And, you know, it works out pretty good, but as, as inflation continues to rise, it seems like it's become, it's less and less where as two years ago, it was amazing money, I think, but putting that power into their hands of that commission and, and, and just getting more from the commission and the way you're doing it versus the way I'm doing it. Is there, is there anything you can, any pointers you can give to make that transition? Because it's, it seems like it's so unknown, even for the owners, for myself, like, how do you go about getting to that point from here? If there's any any pointers or if that hopefully that's that question makes some sense. So the the biggest problems <clears throat> that I have seen we'll touch on real quick. The the first one is knowing if you're actually making money. I know one of the companies I've been working with, um, they've been in business a long time. A ten well it's over twenty five years they've been in business. And they had zero clue as to whether or not they were actually making money on anything. Mm -hmm. And they weren't. Once they got an actual accountant that could do real numbers, uh, the owner found out he'd been working for free for a number of years. You know, he was able to, the cash flow was there. They right. were able to hide all the problems. Yep. There was always a little bit in the bank. And I'm absolutely guilty of that this year. We didn't raise our prices soon enough. Um, 
you know, and so knowing whether or not you're making any money is the first thing. You can't just wait till December 30th, grab your shoebox <laughs> full of receipts, yep. dump them out on the kitchen table and figure out if you made a buck or not. You need to be doing that. Well, now we're doing it weekly I, and take baby steps. So that, that's yeah. the other thing. You just have to start somewhere. Um, you can't go from not tracking anything to tracking everything at once. You, you will give up, you will quit, you won't follow through. Hi, I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. So you need to start with baby steps. Start by just doing your numbers once a month if you have to, if you don't know anything. And put them on the wall. Make a chart. <clears throat> the biggest part and the most beneficial thing that we had for getting our guys to buy in and going on the commission was being open about our numbers. Hey, guys, right. we didn't make any money last month. Hey, guys, if we don't bring in another thirty grand before Thursday, we're not covering payroll. You know, that has been said out loud in our shop, even this year, we're having a record year, but you know, when bills are due at a certain time and you're, you just bought seven, eight new vans this year and you paid cash for them all and you didn't pay attention to the cost of stainless steel or something crazy like that. (laughs) It's amazing how fast those numbers can turn. So make the charts, um, put them on the wall for your guys to see, um, you know, I, I've many times left our tax bill on the counter open with the check written, you know, for everyone to see that <laughs> yeah. that's more money than I make all year. Yeah, it is. That's what it costs. Yep. <laughs> so be open with the cost of doing business, the business, be open with the percentages. I know what percentage I want to take home from each of my companies. And there's plenty of companies this year that I'm losing my ass on. I taking major losses on two of my businesses. Um, and I'm one, I'm probably going to cut bait. It's done for, it's not going to survive. The other one, it's a growth year. I have just invested in it above and beyond what the former, um, owners of that company did because I believe in the potential of that company. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have losses. There's going to be investment years. There's going to be growth years, but start by just tracking your numbers for one month. What were all of our cost of materials? What were all of our utilities? What did we, what were our non-billable hours? As the owner of the company, you need to track not just the eight hours you're in the field, but you need to track the two hours of answering messages and emails at the end of the day, the three hours of scheduling appointments. You need to track your non-billable hours. Now I promise you that once you take and track your non-billable hours, you're going to be sick to your stomach right. to realize that you're making less than the minimum wage. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. And as the owner of the company, that's your investment into the business, right? Your time, your, your sweat, your labor, but don't quit. Keep tracking those numbers until the day that you can actually afford to pay yourself what you're worth. And you need to figure out what that is. And I am the most guilty person of anybody in this industry for not giving up on the small tasks, for not getting out of the truck fully, for not dictating work because I enjoyed doing it, or I was so stupid that I thought that no one could do it as good as me. Yeah, That was huge. (laughs) So learn to delegate. And once you can afford to hire people to plow the snow, cut the grass, do all the busy work that you save for the weekend because you can't afford to hire someone, life gets better. And your employees will see it. And, you know, it's, it's just a snowball effect, but you have to start somewhere. So you need to start tracking every single month whether or not you made money. 
and don't keep looking backwards. Uh, that's another thing that I, that I hear all the time is uh, business owners will say, well, back in whatever year, well, that that's done. That's right. passed. You can't yep. respend that money, give up on it. Just worry about here and now. And next week, this week won't matter. You know, start winning now. Just because you didn't make money for the first two months doesn't mean you can't raise your prices at any time of the year. And don't be afraid to raise your prices. So we get back to owners not making any money. I was working in a new territory. We had just bought out a company. And I went to go meet with one of our new competitors. We had a nice dinner. And I asked him what his rates were. And we were openly sharing what we charge. And I said, well, how'd you come up with that price? He said, well, so-and-so down the road charges this much. So I just wanted to be the same as him. So-and-so's trucks are all rusty, falling apart. They don't have a single certification between every person there. You are a very educated individual with plenty of badges on your shirt, and you're worried about what he's charging? Um, His wife just about threw up the table when I told him that our starting rate was double what theirs was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not... It's not being greedy. It's not just trying to, to make money. It's trying to pay people what they're worth and provide a service to people. You can't keep working for free. You know, your customers, I, I've heard sweeps say they can't retire because no one will be there to serve their customers. I promise you, they'll find someone, Yeah. you know, and if you can't afford the gas to pull in their driveway, they'll find someone who can. <clears throat> they will pay more um, for one of our service areas we actually did the math on how many customers we would lose per dollar we raise our prices and i will tell you that at no point did it become not worth raising our prices right the scale never stopped you will lose a certain percentage of customers for every dollar you raise your rates but the amount it will be offset so greatly by every dollar you raise your prices you will never notice yeah i I think bob said something about this years ago i think he said if if at, I, I think it was him. If not, if one percent or ten percent of your customers aren't saying your prices are too high or aren't complaining about price, they're not high enough. And I've heard it also said like, um, you know, you could double your prices. Oh, but we're going to lose half our customers. There, then there, there's no difference. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're the same. So now you have more capacity. Once you know how many, many hours it takes for you to run your company, set your prices and you can pay your bills. Right. And when it comes to your bills, here's the other two biggest things that I found. Um, the two biggest things in this industry that separate companies that have really scaled and companies that haven't are these two things. A supportive spouse who understands that you're going to be dirt poor <laughs> yeah. for a period of time. Yep. And is okay eating ham and cheese sandwiches and not steaks every night. The biggest thing is living below your means. It is absolutely, it's unbelievable how many people, and I think this is more of a blue collar problem than a, a white collar business owner problem, is for so many of us, we've been dirt poor for so long now, the second that we can afford that shiny thing that we've always wanted, we get it. Mm-hmm. And then we regret it later. Yep. Um, if you can live below your means, if you can continue to invest and squirrel away money and never touch it, 
and never plan on your retirement being the ability to sell your businesses, you will come out much farther ahead. Um, I have been the, the vulture that has swooped in and bought suffering companies for pennies on the dollar because not necessarily because I wanted to take advantage of people, but I was the only person standing in line with the checkbook. And that was what I was going to write the check for. Yeah. Um, I had to look a gentleman dead in the eyes and he told me it was highway robbery. What I was going to pay him for his, uh, 30 some years of chimney stuff in his warehouse. And his home. there's no one else here. You know, you can't afford the rent anymore. I'm here with a checkbook. Yeah. Live. So, uh, before I actually started making any money, I was lucky enough to have a really smart younger brother, uh, who hooked me up with a finance guy who told me how much money I need to save. You know, we all see those charts. If you invest this much, you'll have this much by your retirement age, whatever. Well, I was smart enough to take him up on that and invest and not touch that. So my nest egg has nothing to do with me selling my companies. And this last year, uh, because it's been a crazy growth year and we've tackled and bought out a number of small businesses and started a few at the same time. Um, I sold some toys to finance it. That's just what I had to do. And, but if you can live below your means, um, and reinvest in the company and take the time to know your numbers, it'll, it'll be worth it. You know, I think I saw a quote one day, if you can suffer for a year or two for the long-term game, it'll be worth it. You know, and, and, and it's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think, um, like if when people start their business in this industry anyway, it's like they've spent time watching their company they worked for if they're already in it, getting receiving these checks, right? They're, oh, this, man, I, they only pay me 200 bucks for the day and I, and I just brought a $8,000 check in. They think all this money is there. And so they start their own business and they, they don't realize that there's tons of overhead that every minute of billable time has to cover so like that's a that was a big challenge for me to to learn how to spread every moment that we're working across and to cover or to contribute to that massive overhead and and when i started i'm like all right it won't be that bad there's not that much i just need you know i got to get a truck i got some tools okay insurance and then when you realize before long how many thousands and thousands of dollars a month it costs to be in business with just a couple employees, you quickly <laughs> realize. And so like I thought, oh, so when it was just me, I started just myself and my wife was helping me. I had to start a business. I didn't, I worked for a different company in this industry. Long story, I talked about it on my podcast, but I had to start a business. So I said, all right, just me and my wife, we're going to do this. We'll make enough money. We'll, we'll save it. And I realized within like three months that that was not going to work. One, my wife shouldn't be out there taking blocks down off of a chimney and then helping bring them back up to me. You know, she couldn't handle that kind of work. It wasn't, it didn't make sense. So then I'm like, all right, well, let me get a helper. So I found a great helper. He's still with me. He's not a helper. He is, a, he is an awesome technician and an awesome salesperson. But at that very moment of the first hire, I, for those of you watching, you can see this curve I'm making. That's the, the expense curve. It's shot straight up. Um, it's so much easier to do it alone as far as the finances. 
But the way I thought about it was this is not sustainable for me and my wife. This won't work because I'm 40. I can do this for so long. I'm going to, there's only so many jobs I can do myself. I did, ran the numbers. I couldn't save enough. I had zero retirement. So like this is my retirement. My business is my retirement. And so I, at first I was like, all right, well, let me pull this money each week. I got to pay myself really good. And then as I started to try to build it, I realized I've got to plow back some of that profit because I need to grow this thing. And at first I was really nervous about that because I read the profit first book and it's like, you got to get all your profit and keep it right away from the beginning. That's nice and all, but if you're trying to build something, you can't, it won't work. You have to reinvest that money. Like in every person you add and every crew you add, it exponentially increases the cost. But there's a sweet spot, right? I talk to people, there's all, there is a sweet spot. And a lot of people say you kind of just have to find it. What are your thoughts on that sweet spot? Is there a way to do the math to find it? Or do you kind of just have to grow into it and figure it out? So it all depends on how disciplined you are, really. So everyone that's tried to grow a business knows that you are, you are profitable at one person. A right. one-man band is profitable. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, as soon as you try to jump up to four trucks, you're not making four times the money. Right. Right. It, <laughs> it, it's, it might be the same as if you're a one man band, if we're going to be honest. Right. So from, I, I've heard a number of people say the sweet spot is five, it's six, it's seven, somewhere in that area. That seems to be a general consensus for, for what I hear. But what I see way too often is the jump everywhere between one, two, and three trucks. You're just moving more piles of cash into the same. Right. Box. You, yeah. A lot of times you're not making a single penny more nope. from one truck to three. Right. And four, I don't think is quite profitable yet anyway. So the other part is then figuring out how many uh, support staff it takes per truck. Right. So at, at one point I ran four trucks with me answering all the phone calls and working in the field. And that is suicide. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. So the, you need someone answering the phone full time. That's the number one hire you need. And for many of us, that doesn't work. If it, if you're a husband and wife situation, that's great. But for many of us, that's not a possibility until you get to the three or four trucks, right? You know, two trucks, one truck. But what I found for my own math is that truck number seven out of each office mm -hmm. is actually a percentage back to me. And I, I have a goal. Uh, it's a different percentage across different companies, but for my three main chimney companies, my goal is to put 10% of it into my pocket. Right the gross from each truck that that's my number. And so at truck number seven, that becomes, um, I can actually make the percentage go higher. Um, so I, I can do 10% up to seven. Um, our math says that when at truck 15, I'm actually pulling 20%. <clears throat> now, obviously I don't live that way. I don't, you know, you start pulling 20% off of trucks above that. Um, we just rolled out truck 29 
total. And um, every I've set a dollar amount for myself personally as to what I want to be liable for taxes. So everything I feel like it's reinvested. Right, right. <laughs> um, so we that's why we've had these amazing growths. And that's why I've been able to have two different companies each lose six figures this year because we could do it. Um, and we've started, you know, some of my companies aren't chimney related at all. And the numbers are completely different. But I will tell you that a chimney company is more profitable than an HVAC company. It's more profitable than plumbing and electrical. It's more profit than a lot of retail. Um, we do have an extremely profitable industry if you charge what you should and know your numbers and watch it. Yeah. And for me, that seventh truck, that is when life changes. Now, that, let me ask when you this. You, Real quick, I'm yep. sorry, because well, when when we talk about trucks, are you talking one technician and a helper or an apprentice in there, or is it two guys that are are skilled? Like, how how do you classify a truck okay. as far as so that's another people? That's another whole conversation, but it, it's per truck. So some of my guys are out in the field by themselves the majority of the time. Okay, um, you know when they're doing their regular sales calls, sweeps, and inspections, they're out solo. They don't want to pay a helper. Remember, right. they're on commission. Right. They don't want to pay a helper to ride around to watch them do something that they can perfectly do themselves. Now, if it's raining or if it's snowy and there's uh, so everyone shows up to work every day. Let's start. Let's start from the beginning. So we'll just use chimney mechanics as our our model because it's the largest of all the companies. Every single technician. Every single helper shows up for work every single day. Now, normally they're all scheduled out weeks in advance as to who's going with who, who's doing what, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we have this thing called weather. Right. And we have this thing called people calling in sick. Yep. Now, every single day at Chimney Mechanics, there is a technician that has nothing on his schedule. Nothing. He is going to field emergency calls. He's going to field the chimney fire that the fire department just called in from last night. He might cover for the technician that is sick that day because nobody ever gets sick anymore. <laughs> and same thing with a couple helpers. They're going to show up every morning, not have anything on their schedule, but hey, this one job site needs an extra hand cleaning up or the warehouse manager has an extra shipment coming in today and they're going to go out and work and whatever. And we have a, a long, long list of busy work for anybody to do. If you come into work today, you're not sent out on any emergencies. Now the technicians need you. Um, it's thunderstorming and raining all day. Here's the busy work. So everybody has something to do every single gotcha. day. Now, most of these trucks are going to roll out of the shop with just the technician. Um, I'd say five to seven of them will go out solo every single day. They don't need a helper. They don't want a helper unless they're doing a repair. But sometimes... Uh, we'll get on these big jobs where they'll be like, I want another technician and I want five helpers on this job. We have a massive amount of bricks to move. We've got a massive amount of cleanup to do. Um, or it's a house with a super long driveway or a long walk. And I just want bodies on the job site and they've budgeted to do so. So they'll do that. But I do have, I don't want to say their names, but I have roughly five technicians who are smaller scale size human beings and can't 
they're not putting up a 32 foot ladder three, four times a day. Right. They're not carrying their, you know, they're using smaller vacuums. They're, they're just smaller people. They're great at doing their, their job. And there are, I believe five technicians who every single day have a helper, no matter what, simply for that reason. Gotcha. Um, and it's because that it's the job they want. They're good at it. They can sell, but they're a hundred pounds soaking wet. Right. <laughs> so they have a helper every single day. And so we classify, we go, our, our trucks are a mix of one person, two person. And sometimes a truck is actually three trucks and six people. So, okay. And uh, currently across all territories, there's, there's 29 of them and we divide them up and we, some are pre- are always more profitable than others. Uh, we don't always know why, you know, we, we try to, we try to get the numbers and figure it all out, but, um, there will always be the cream of the crop and the lower ones. And it's not always the same, you know, sometimes they flip flop and, uh, you know, one insane job will make an entire month's numbers askew and you can't plan for it. You know, you get yeah. a, you get a six figure job all of a sudden thrown in your numbers and your numbers are off for, you know, a couple months possibly, or if a job takes a long time to complete, we had a project that was a three month long job. There were two months that year that looked this year that looked horrible. You know, we didn't make any money because the job wasn't closed out yet. So (laughs) there's always those wild factors. Yeah. That's interesting. It almost seems like, you know, your trucks and your crews, they're almost like little companies within your company managing these jobs and then reporting back to the mothership, but it's, you're, you're putting more control in the hands of these qualified technicians and letting them have more stake in it, letting them take ownership of it. And I think that that goes a long way because they're not just being sent out here, but here, here's your hourly pay, just go here and do this. And, and then they don't, you know, doing it that way, there's less, they're less, they're more likely to, to leave tools on the job, break tools, break things, miss things but when it's their job and they're completely in control and their their actions and the time they spend directly impact the amount of money they make so they yeah they want to do it way quicker to get more money out of that but you have checks and balances in place that keep them honest which is which i think is really important well, we, we want them to take ownership yeah. right we want them to buy in mm-hmm. and one thing if you ever hang out at our in our warehouse or in our morning is we're not money 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 non-stop like some companies i've visited they'll spend 20 minutes every morning cramming dollar signs down their their tech's throats yeah we have three rules we want everybody safe yep we want every one of our technicians safe and we want every one of our customers safe because dead customers don't sign checks so number one rule Everyone has to be safe every single day. Don't do someone, something in someone's house you wouldn't do in your own. Um, treat people the way they want to be treated. And so rule number two is happy. We want safe, happy customers. And if a customer thinks that you made that mark on the carpeting and you didn't document properly that you didn't, you're giving them a discount. Right. right. My technicians have the authority to at any time spend X amount of dollars to make customers happy and i will support them you the customer thinks that they want you know 
three, four, five percent off their bill because you made a mistake or you didn't do something up to par, you make the customer happy. And then we want them to be paying. So we want our customers to be first off safe, second happy, and third paying because at the end of the day, my guys don't want to work for free. So uh, we put that above profits and the guys that buy into this, they want their customers to be happy because they know if something's wrong, they have to deal with it. They, yeah. they don't want to deal with it. And they definitely don't want me to go deal with it or one of the other managers to deal with it because that's going to take away from their profitability on the job. So they buy into the customer's happiness as well as the job getting done right because it affects them directly. Yeah, that's important. We're big on on that. Like, I think everybody wants, you know, they want their customers happy. And, you know, a lot of times I think people think it's just because we want good reviews, but I genuinely want people to like us. Like I don't want people, I don't, my biggest thing is I don't want to wear my company shirt to a fair, to a, a place where there's tons of people and have someone look at my shirt and say, that company messed me up. I don't like them. I want people to look at that company shirt wherever they see and say, those are good people. They treated me right. Or, you know, something happened, but they took care of it and they're good people. That's like, that's my goal. And so the technicians do have to buy into that. And I think the way you're doing it, it's, it's getting them to believe that it's not like, well, we have to do this because it's they're Like you said, they're taking ownership of that job. That customer is their customer and, and they're, they believe it, they buy into it. And they're, it's, it's their name also on the line, I think. It's not just the company name because, you know, people go home and it's like, oh, I'm going home. I don't have to wear the company name anymore. But if you can get people buying in like you've done, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the ticket right there. You know, it's a funny <clears throat> analogy that you brought up because as a second-generation chimney sweep, I won't be caught dead wearing my dad's company name to school yeah. or out in public or it was a work uniform. It wasn't something I'd have to go out in. And regularly in our community, we'll see kids at the high school wearing chimney mechanics hoodies or hats. <laughs> That's we'll awesome. See them yeah. About in town. And it's grown to be, you know, a place that people are happy to work at. They, they brag about working with us. They brag about um, getting a job here. You know, there's a lot of you know, especially because I'm real big into cars and the tech ed classes at school, people brag when they get a job at Chimney Mechanics. They'll post it all over social media. That's cool. And yeah. your comment about the reviews, that's one of the biggest numbers that you need to watch, you know, mm -hmm. as far as knowing your numbers is your marketing. How are you getting your customers? Uh, this year, our percentage of marketing dollars is the smallest it's ever been. And it's simply because the majority of our work is referrals and repeat customers. Yep. So when you when we say track your numbers, you need to know exactly where your customers are finding your information, how they got in contact with you. And as soon as you're gonna start chopping down the marketing, you know, you'll hear it all the time, slow and steady, you know, advertise all the time so they know you exist. They know we exist. Mm -hmm. Marketing has never been easier than it is right now. You don't have to be in 20 yellow pages you don't have to buy a bunch of AdWords, but it is also to the maturity of your company. I think yesterday I saw a post, a guy just starting out and he's scared because he didn't get a lot of phone calls this week during Thanksgiving. Well, as a perennial chimney company, you know the phone's gonna be quiet a few days before Thanksgiving, except yep. for the houses that are full of smoke and the emergencies. 
and yeah. a couple of days before Christmas, except for the house was full of smoke and the emergencies. And the <laughs> yeah. we just opened our damper and it's full of squirrels. So as uh, knowing your numbers, knowing what you're charging, the biggest variable that we've seen is to make your marketing dollars count. So tr ask every customer how they heard about us. And you don't have to, I get really, really annoyed when, I, when I'm in a chimney company's office and I hear their customer service representative answer the phone and ask a million pointless questions. When I call your company and I'm trying to make an appointment, I want to make a date and a time and you show up. And if you want to send me one confirmation email or make one confirmation phone call, I can deal with that. Hmm. But I don't want to try to figure out the name and brand of my stove. Is it an insert or is it a stove or is it a fireplace or is it a prefab or is my house one story or 10? I expect you as a professional to know all that when you get here and take right. care of it. And just be ready for it. Yeah. But when your technician is in my home and they're going through the social queuing and they're learning about me without asking really pointed questions, it's very, very simple when you're sitting there and they're writing the check for your technician to say, so how'd you hear about us? Right. And note it down. It's the things that you can learn about a customer by just being in their home are way above and beyond anything that you can learn asking them 10 pointless questions on the phone. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we service over a hundred chimneys a day and I don't want to, my people that answer the phones don't have time to go through all that stuff, but I encourage my technicians to ask, how'd you hear about us and make it small talk, note it and then adjust accordingly. And if you're a mature chimney company and you've got a good, uh, reputation in your area, your marketing dollars are very, very little the last few years. Yeah, that, that's right on. I, that's what we've been seeing. Like, I, we spend very little on actual marketing. Now, we're, I, we're only three years old, but um, it, the Google reviews are the biggest thing for us. I mean, I think we have, I don't know, 130, somewhere in that of, of good reviews. I view a four star review as bad. We have like two four stars with no explanation, but that that hurts me. But the point is like when people call, they say, I saw you on Google and your reviews were good. So I decided to give you a call or my friend used you and told me I should call you. Like, so the majority is referrals or a referral from a review they saw and you know, the Google, my, my business page. So it's it that's so important. And if you have one bad review, it, it won't kill you, but you better respond to it and you better be polite in that in that response. Well, and one so when I'm looking for a place to eat or a hotel, I'll read the bad reviews mm -hmm. and half the time I laugh at them like right. oh, that was they're ridiculous. <laughs> I I don't care what she says. She sounds nuts. Yeah, that's generally and what I, you'll find. Yep. Yeah, and I do look for the you know the the positive ones. I want to eat at a nicer restaurant. So I'll look at the reviews, but they're not the end all be all. If you have zero negative reviews, that's, that's it looks concerning. suspicious, right? Yeah, correct. I, I think one time I looked at our reviews and we don't have nearly as many as you because we, I guess we don't ask for them enough, but um, one of them was they were complaining about one of my technicians driving down the highway. Yeah. You'll see, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. like, okay. So that no one's, I don't care. You know, that doesn't bother me. It's, it's not, but our, in the world of social media and how cheap it is to get your name out there to the masses and the ability to target your customer, the ability to know what your customer is or who it is. Um, I think during COVID, it was the very first time that we saw our target customer switch from female to male. 
it has always been female. Wow. And during COVID was the youngest ever and male. And it was like that way for three months. And we have got some theories as to why. It was also the very first time that our target customer preferred beer over wine. Again, the youngest and male for the first time ever. So, and, and tracking your numbers gets addictive. So I think for those that are scared to start, just start monthly, mm-hmm. track your numbers monthly, and then dissect from there. Um, get out of the field as fast as you can. I'm guilty. I'm still getting scheduled jobs here and there. I'm still going out on job sites. It's what I love. And one day I'll finally learn that I need to not be in the field as much. Um, I'm only supposed to be at Chimney Mechanics two days a, a week, and I seem to always find myself there more. But get out of the field, learn to run your business, learn to um, operate a company, not just be a technician, get out of the technician mindset, but then at the same time, elevate your technicians to think about money, to um, learn how to budget them, their own personal lives, and raise the level of the entire company. Yeah, awesome points. I. We're coming up, I think we're about an hour, so I think we'll have to wrap it up. But I think there's so much more to talk about. And if you're open to it, um, we could have you back again because I, I think you have a ton of, of experience and knowledge to share. There's so many guys just starting out, like there's this new generation of sweeps coming up and, and they want to grow these businesses. They want to make it something sustainable. And I, I, nothing against the one-man bands. I think that's great. If I could do it, I would still do it. But there's, I think we live in a world where it's now demanding that we build businesses instead of just jobs for the vast majority of us. And it's super important to learn from others because I don't, for me, I don't have the time to make all of the mistakes everyone, a bunch of people have already made. I need to, I need to listen to them and just do what they say. Um, maybe if I started this at 20, I could have enough time to make all of those mistakes and I'd have enough wherewithal to endure all of that stress but I'll, at this point the stress levels that come from owning a business just day to day um and knowing that you're carrying the load for all of your employees like it's not even like oh they messed up on this job it's like you're you're building this for them this is for everybody and you their their livelihoods are at stake as well so like i am trying to suck up whatever i can from anyone and I've I've looked at some other podcasts and there's some amazing things I've learned and I try to share and parrot a lot of those things in, in different groups but your perspective is very awesome it's you're you're a real guy and you've got real experience and you you put it in a way people can understand which is awesome and you're not you're you're giving it freely you you give it to people you're not saying buy into my uh, coaching program you're giving us all this information today, and it's much appreciated. And I'm, not, I'm not making you sign a bunch of do not disclose letters right. either. Um, I owe everything I have to this industry, to going to conventions. The, the, my fellow National Guild uh, members are responsible for everything I have. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been the one-man band. I've been the, the three-truck operator who still can afford to go to a convention, right? Yep. I've made all the mistakes. And... Part of me is a little jealous of the guys like you who are two, three years in and leaps and bounds ahead of where I was at that point, right? That's because we have you guys. (laughs) I guarantee you there's others that are, that look at it the same way. They're jealous of how easy you guys have it these days. And it's true that the uh, 
ability to just log in and get information and run with it freely and, and, you know, grow at such an amazing rate. It's wonderful. I love it. And I give because so many people gave to me, right. you know, right. I've, I've slept on, you've probably heard before I've slept on floors of other people's hotel rooms. I've slept in my truck at a convention. I've done all of that. I've been there. And so I want to save others from some of that heartache. And so that's why I give, but if you choose to be a, a one man band, this industry is amazing. You can it have is. your company, whatever size you want. Yep. There's nothing wrong with it, but don't be jealous of the guys that are going out and, and killing it and growing, you know, their version of their dream and helping other people along the way. Yeah. That it's, there's so much to learn. I, I just know that I, I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> Every day I, I wake up, is like, I have no idea. But the deal is every day is a school day for me. So I try to learn something new. And this whole thing about knowing numbers, I, I tried to figure out from day one. And when at day one, you don't have anything to go by. It's just like, all right, let me just guess as much as I can. And then, you know, after year one is complete, you can say, all right, well, this is really what happened. And then you can converge those numbers and, and make some better forecasting. But I'm still... I'm still at that point where I have my numbers figured out and then I look back and I say, that didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. So what, what, what went wrong here? And that, that's like, it's just a constant thing. You have to adjust. And I, you made a point where you should be looking weekly. Um, if we get too busy and we only look every two months, every three months, it could be, it could be too far past the problem. But if we do it weekly, we can make adjustments quickly. And like you said, you can raise prices whenever. You know, it, it's we just raised our prices and some people cried. I sent out an email, a mass email to everybody. Hey, our prices are going up. No apologies. Just they're going up. And some people re responded to the email with, wow, they're already expensive. Now, I, that, now that's too much. Well, I didn't even tell you how much they went up. They didn't even go up that much. If it was too expensive then, well, I'm sorry, but that's what it is. So, you know, it's always just fixing things. And, and listening to guys like yourself, it gives us so much to think about and, and we can fix things even better, like less, less, um, less guessing and more directed with a point decisions, you know, focused decisions with, with intention behind them. So I, I appreciate it. I, there's so much more I want to ask you and I, I'm going to let you go though, because you've got things to take care of. And I do want to say, I want to come out and visit your shop one of these days and, uh, see how it's done You're, everyone's always welcome open door policy um wisconsin guilds having some training in july or january so uh you know there'll be some guys coming up um but we'll have some other workshops some training events um watch forums we don't usually have to post them because we have too many people volunteering right, right after yeah. that but you're, you're more than welcome to come visit anytime i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna reach out to you i'll find a time and uh, that works for you, and I'll just I'll just watch if you don't mind. I'll just step back and just keep my no, head down. No, you're not going to watch. We're going to put you to work. All right, you can put me to work. I will say that I'm 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 pretty good at a, at technician stuff, but I don't. I'll be straight. I don't love the actual chimney work. I love the stuff behind the scenes. I was always the guy in the background. Like I I love making parts, and I, I worked in metal shops and stuff. That to me was awesome. I built some machines for for you know, welding pipe together, seam welds and stuff. That to me was always the super fun part. So when I got into yeah. the technician work, it was like, all right, I'm going to do this. 
I don't love it, but I'm going to do it because I know it makes money. And so it was easier for me to step out of the truck, but I still like, don't get me wrong. I still have to get out there and, and, and do stuff, especially masonry work. It, it, that, it, that's been a lifelong battle between me and uh, the late David Hanna. I would never admit I was a chimney sweep ever. I was a technician. Right. I've never enjoyed cleaning a chimney in my life. I just wanted to fix things that people said couldn't be fixed and figure stuff out right. and do the technical side of it. And uh, I'm kind of glad he got to see me in a top hat at least once. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It was really awesome. We'll we'll have to do a part two to this too because I think there's so much more that we can talk about. We, I, I feel like I could just go on and on all day with you, but we can't. That's we got to let you get to to your day. But I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, sir. Okay. Take care.